The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. What a great team we have going to Nepal. Praise the Lord. And uh, uh, let's be praying for them as they get ready to leave this week and, and are gone for two weeks. Before we look at Nehemiah this morning, um, as, as we have been talking about uh, this past few weeks, the Lord has been leading us and kind of cornering us in a place where we don't have the, 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 we don't have the wisdom, the resources to get ourselves out of something. And we've been following God, but uh, He's got us in a tight spot right now. And I believe it's by His design and it's for His purposes. And so, as you know, um, the, the group that was going to buy this building, Truth and Life Worship Center, has uh, their, their sale has fallen through because the group that wanted to buy their building has to have a rezoning in order to, to do that. And so that, that has fallen through so far. And so uh, as a result, right now, at this moment, we don't have a buyer for this building and we're in the next two months leaving to go to another building that is being prepared. And, and so we're up against a, a place where we need to seek God on this. We've mentioned that last week that we should be asking you to, to go to fasting and prayer. And uh, I mentioned last week that we're not, we're not legislating how you fast, what you fast, and so on. But <clears throat> I, felt, um, I felt compelled this week to share a little bit of my ex- personal experience with fasting, which is either a really foolish thing to do or very wise. I don't know. You could think much less of me after this or much more of me, and I don't want either. Um, but... Um, but I think that the point is, is that when, for me, when I, when I choose to fast, usually my fasting is a 24-hour period. And I just, I, I go from supper to supper, and, and I just seek God on whatever it is that, it is, that is focused for that fast. And um, I find that it is, it is, it is the, the hardest thing. It, is, it, is, it, it shows me, it exposes my weakness like nothing else I know. It is humbling. I realize when I'm fasting how much of a control freak I am and how much I get my way when it comes to choosing what I eat, when I eat and drink and so on. And I, I realize I can, get, I can get vulnerable, I can get irritable, and I can become... It, just, it somehow just makes me see the worst of me. And so, don't you want to do that? <laughs> and and so, so if you if and again to in, in every respect to those that have mental illness, um, I use this as an illustration with total respect. But for me, fasting is like a schizophrenic experience, where I have to take myself and drag myself into this discipline which I believe is for my good, that God has called me to. It's like a little kicking and screaming boy that wants his way. And instead, when we fast, I think what we're saying is to, we're saying to our body, to ourselves, no, you will not have your way today. No, you will not tell me what to feed you. No, I will not feed you today. Today, you will listen to me. That's what we're saying. And we're saying it because... We have something in our gaze, in our focus, that's more important than this body, than this life, this physical life. 
For man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now that's just the first part of it. That's the fasting part. But the other part of the wrestling with me is the prayer part. Because when, when we fast, we should spend some more time in prayer. The, often, typically, we say, well, the time you'd spend in preparing and eating your food, spend it in focused prayer. Well, that also is a wrestling for me because as soon as I decide to go to prayer on those times and, and focus my prayer time on what it is that we're praying about, it's like every distraction comes calling my name and everything just tries to drag me away. And again, I have to take myself and drag myself over into the presence of God in prayer. And then I sit there and trust that God will... And I don't know what your experience is like, but that's my experience. And then as I do that, with a little bit of effort, eventually my will is subdued. My mind is resolved. My spirit is less distracted. And soon I actually can rest in God's presence and start to pray without distraction. Now, I don't, I don't know what your experience is like, but that's my experience. And yet I can say that when it's all said and done, I can say with all honesty and experience that I feel closer to God and that oftentimes God somehow just rewards that with something. It often is not even related to the fast, but it's somehow that God meets me in that. And I think that God wants us to be people that come before Him in this way. And so, again, some of you may not be able to fast with food. And as we suggested last week, maybe it's something else that uh, social media or something else that you, you fast. But the point is, we're, we're seeking God. We're saying, God, we don't have it. We're not enough. We need you to show up. And Lord, unless you do, we don't know what's going to happen. So we're seeking God. And I'm excited to see how it is that our seeking the Lord in this way is going to answer the, the, the issue for Truth and Life Worship Center and for us as well. And uh, so I, I lay that before you. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah. And uh, let's take a look at Nehemiah chapter 6 today. We're at a stage in the story of Nehemiah where the building of the walls is almost complete. And the enemies of Judah have failed in every attempt to try and hold up or stall the work on the walls. Nothing they have done has, has succeeded. And so now at this 11th hour, they, they attempt to stall the work and distract it by aiming especially at Nehemiah, the foreman, the governor of Judah, and they try to drag him away from it and stop the work that way. And in, in this scripture, what we see is we see that Nehemiah had to persevere and endure three faith tests. I don't know if you've heard that language before. A faith test is something that is designed by God, though brought about and orient, originated by somewhere else. But in the sovereignty of God, it's designed by God to help you grow in your faith. And so when we get focused on the other, the enemy and the other stuff, we don't see what God is doing in us and we miss the blessing of a faith test. 
Nehemiah faced three faith tests. We're going to go through this, and we're going to look at the faith tests. And, and each time I come to one, um, I'm going to pause and give you the test. Okay? And they're mentioned in the insert in your bulletin. But let's begin by reading the scripture from Nehemiah chapter 6 and beginning in verse 1. Would you stand with me if you're able to and listen to God's word? Nehemiah chapter 6. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to this time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plains of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the message. Each time I gave them the same answer. And the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aide to me with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written this. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king of Persia. So come, let us confer together. I send him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. One day when I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mahatabel, who was shut in at his home, he said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you by night. They are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would not, so that I would commit a sin by doing this and then would give a, me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophetess and Nadiah, the rest of the prophets who've been trying to intimidate me. And so the wall was completed on the 25th of Alal in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. May God bless his word. You may be seated. <clears throat> and so the first test that I'd like to draw your attention to comes in first verses of chapter 6, and I will call it the test of compromise under the pretense of collaboration. What happens is... is of course, the enemies of Judah know that they're losing the battle. This thing is getting completed. And so they, they offer this collaboration. They say, well, why don't we be friends? In, in a sense, it's kind of like they were trying to play softball, J.I. Packer says. And uh, James Montgomery Boyce in his commentary says that, that um, it was a, kind of a concession speech that was sent to them. 
They were basically saying, okay, we know we've been opposing the work, we've been opposing the wall, but uh, hey, you've done a good job. We acknowledge that. So since you're the governor of Judah and we're the governors of surrounding provinces, why don't we at least get along and be friends? And so come with us. Let's meet together and let's form the terms of our agreement. Let's have a summit. And of course, uh, Nehemiah knew that this was not at all true. Uh, he knew that they, there's no way that they were interested in what they were saying because they had different goals altogether. Now you might, you might find that there are people you cannot align with simply because you really know that the goal of their life is different than the goal of your life. You will need to decide that you'll have to part ways because of that simple reason. Now if Nehemiah was given to flattery, he could have been flattered by this letter. If he was tempted to sort of look at the optics of things and act in good faith somehow, go to the summit, he would have probably lost his life. But he was not fooled. He knows what they're attempting to do, especially because it was a full day's trip from Jerusalem and it was on the edge of hostile territory near Samaria. So he probably put that together as well. And at the end of verse 2, he says they were scheming to harm me. He knew that this was not at all something that was of God. He had a spiritual intuition as well as not a needy ego to feed. And so in wise diplomacy, he did not give them more in his answer than they needed to know. And he simply said, I am carrying on a great project and I cannot go down. Why should the work stop? And I leave it just to go down to you four times, four responses. And so let me suggest to you the first Nehemiah test, the faith test that you will face. The circumstances will be different for every one of us but maybe this Nehemiah test will come to you. And I want you to just think about your own response to these statements. Let's begin. If you are the kind of person that is fooled by insincere compliments, if you are the kind of person that is too desperate to have people like you, if you are the kind of person that has got a too high a view of yourself and, and your abilities, if your insecurities blur your objectivity, if you fall into the trap of thinking that peace and harmony must be sought at all costs, if you are too easily distracted from the main focus that God has given your life, if any of these are descriptive of you, then perhaps you need to meditate a little deeper upon how it was that Nehemiah could face this test and pass it. And how it is that God is leading your life not to be compromising your convictions or the work of your life and not to collaborate with certain people because they have a different goal than your life has been given. You need to apply that lesson to your life if you're going to pass that faith test. Because clearly, your path will necessarily at some point have to part in the path with someone else. If you have not faced this kind of a test already, there will be a time when this will happen to you because light can have no fellowship with darkness. That's the first test. Let's go on to the second test where we read in verses 5 and following about what I call the provocation test that Nehemiah faced. Now, if softball is not something that 
Nehemiah wants to play, his enemies think, well, maybe he'll play hardball. In fact, they decide we're going to make him play hardball. And they do it by trying to make a political move upon him. Verse 5, the fifth time that the messengers come back, Sanballat sends his aid, and there's an unsealed letter. Now, you know what unsealed letters are all about. Unsealed letters means that anybody can open it and read it along the way. So immediately, Nehemiah knows that all the way from the, the area that they lived, all the way through the messengers and hands to Jerusalem, and then Jerusalem all the way to Persia, where the king is, everybody's going to be able to open this letter and read it and its contents. And its contents are very damning against Nehemiah. This friendly invitation didn't work, so let's try a provoking him with the false accusations of political treason. And so maybe this will intimidate Nehemiah to leave the work and to join them. This time, Nehemiah's response is very direct. He says, nothing like what you are saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. I will not go. Do not try to frighten me, he says, basically. And he says in verse 8, they're all trying to frighten us. They're thinking that our hands will be too weak for the work and so on. What was it being here? What was the intimidation? What was the temptation? What was the fear? The fear was that Nehemiah would be provoked into leaving the work and running off in all directions. How to do, to do what? To try and manage his own image. To try, try and manage his own reputation. Now, do you realize how dangerous uh, uh, an endeavor that is? If you run about to everybody around you trying to make sure that they think of you the right way as, they, as you'd like them to think about you, do you realize what a tyranny that would be for you? Nehemiah would have had to run all over where the letter had been, where the letter was going to go. He'd have to try and defend himself against it and so on. Because it was very damaging. It was saying basically that he was, he was, a, he was a crook. He was, he was all into his own ego. He was trying to take a, a new kingdom, start it over, become king and so on. And it was all under this pretense of political correctness. You don't want people to think about you as plotting a revolt, do you, Nehemiah? You don't want people to think that you were in this all for your own glory, not for the glory of God. You don't want to be seen as a rebel against God who pays off the prophets to make the proclamation that you're the king. You don't want that, do you, Nehemiah? You better go and manage your own reputation. What's important in Nehemiah's response is that he denies the allegations outright, but he does not get suckered into leaving his post or his first calling. You know, we live in a time when accusations are flying around against anybody that wants to sort of be a leader of anything. Uh, and, and many of the accusations are proven false, and some are proven true, and some are never resolved. If Nehemiah were today alive, in today's media-saturated world where cameras capture everything so that anyone and everyone can sit in the comfortable living rooms of their homes and be the judge and jury over every matter under the sun, <laughs> Nehemiah would not have got good press. I can guarantee you that if Nehemiah was around today in this, in this world today, and it, this, you know what would have happened to that letter, that unsealed letter? It would have been leaked. And whatever network first got it, they would say exclusive 
for our network is some information, and it would have been out there in full view. Everybody would have read it. It would have been leaked. That's what the writers of the letter wanted. And so, what is Nehemiah's response? Well, what Nehemiah is concerned about are three things. Number one, his own integrity. He knows he is not guilty of any of the charges. Number two, his clean conscience before God. And number three, this work must not stop. God gave me this work, and he hasn't called me away from it. And so, he perseveres. So let's take this Nehemiah test with, the, with, with Nehemiah here. And this is the provocation test. And so how do you respond to these statements? If you are the kind of person that is overly preoccupied with how others see you, if you are the kind of person that must spend a lot of emotional energy on the management of your own image in the eyes of others, if you are easily intimidated by people and what they might believe or say false things about you, if being perceived as being politically correct is more important to you than actually being correct, then perhaps you need to meditate on how it was that Nehemiah, in his character, in his discernment, in his faith, was able to pass the test of provocation under the pretense of politics. And then the final test that we see in Nehemiah's in chapter 6 is the fear test. A fear test was perhaps the most difficult for Nehemiah. In verse 10, we're introduced to a, a priest that's in Jerusalem. His name is Shemaiah. He's supposedly a friend of, of Nehemiah's and supposedly has invited Nehemiah to his home in order that they might confer together because he claims that he's also a prophet and that he's heard something from God that Nehemiah does not know. He says, I, I, I've heard that there are people coming tonight to kill you. Now, since I'm a priest, you can come with me. We'll go into the temple. We'll close the doors and you'll be safe there. It seems like a good plan. It seems like a good plan. By all appearances, this is a loyal subject that is maybe even a friend trying to help Nehemiah out. And yet Nehemiah is suspicious of almost everyone at this point, and he sees that it's another scheme. The, also, the other thing is that Nehemiah knows his Bible, and he knows that him being neither a priest nor Levite, Nehemiah, he knows that he's not allowed in the temple. He's not allowed in that part of the temple. And so he knows... By the way, if someone asks you to do something that's completely and exactly opposite to what the Bible asks you to do, you should be discerning enough to say, hmm, I don't think I should do this. That's what was happening here. So he responds in verse 11, Should a man like me run away? Really? Really, Shemaiah? Should one like me go into the temple to save his life? And then he says emphatically, I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him to intimidate me. And so this third scheme to bring down Nehemiah, probably the hardest for him to deal with because it was an inside job, wasn't it? It was a trusted priest. Don't you remember Judah, the entire community in Jerusalem was depending on the Shemaiahs, the priests, to restart temple worship, 
sacrificing of animals, confession, worship, all that was stopped for 70 years in Babylon was starting up. These were the men they were determined to, to depend on. And here was one that was an insider paid off by the outsiders to stop the work. This must have been difficult for Nehemiah to handle. And so he responds and uh, he prays to the Lord. He prays to the Lord and the Lord gives him wisdom. Let's take the third Nehemiah test and uh, ask yourself these things. If you are the kind of person that is easily intimidated by fear, if you are prone to make decisions out of fear more than faith, if you are easily shaken or deceived by what is true or what is false, if a friendship in your life means more to you than obedience to the Lord, or if you are not secure enough in your own walk with God that others who are in positions of authority can intimidate you into changing your course of life and action that God has put you on, then perhaps you need to consider how was it that Nehemiah had the ballast of life, the character of life, the discernment of life that he was able to stay the course and persevere. Fears and threats must not paralyze the people who are pursuing God. And if you are in leadership in any capacity, you will especially face these faith tests. You will at one point in your leadership be, be, be expected to pass these tests. The stress of leadership is unique to leadership. And the crying and the tears that you will shed sometimes will come because you are given a post of leadership that others do not carry the same weight on. That happens. I, I love what the Chinese theologian Watchman Nee once said. He said that Christianity, he doesn't say just leadership, but Christianity is keeping one hand on the plow while wiping tears away with the other. That's, that's a picture of a discipled life. It's a picture of leadership. It's a picture of someone who's been called by God to complete a task, to follow through, to, to not compromise, to not be provoked, to not to give in to fear. And you've got one, one hand on that plow, but it is so hard because there are those that oppose you and it brings tears to your eyes. This man, Shemaiah, might have been a close friend of Nehemiah's. And to know that he was betrayed by someone who should have been bearing the, the weight of this new enterprise in Jerusalem must have been difficult. If you've known personal betrayal, you know a little bit of what I'm talking about. Well, here are the three tests. In spite of the opposition, praise the Lord, in verse 15, we read that the wall was completed. It was completed in 52 days. They started building, rebuilding in August, and they finished in October. It's incredible. When we think about the size of these walls, 15 to 20 feet high, and the circumference around the entire city of Jerusalem, Walls that were up at least three feet thick and, not, and more at the base. This is an incredible enterprise. 
while facing the opposition of those around that are, are firing at you. And that's, it says that this, this could not have been done without God's help. Everybody saw it. And I think that this is a, an incredible story for us to be reading today and to be thinking about in these months as we think about how is it that we as a church family want to be known in this community? Do we want to be known as a people who can do some good things that can be explained in completely human mathematical terms? Or do we want to be known as a people who have done great things that can only be explained by the supernatural and by God? Will we, at the end of the day, come to terms and say, yeah, yeah, well, you just, you know, you pull together and it all works out. Or will we come to the end of it and say, I don't know how it worked out. I just know that God showed up and he did things that there's no way we could be contributed, attributed to us. And so we see Nehemiah on an example in this way. Nehemiah was tempted. He was tested three ways. He foreshadows another man who also hundreds of years later was tempted and tested in three ways. I'm thinking of Jesus when he was in the wilderness. Just before he began his public ministry, the devil came to him while he was fasting and praying, going through the weakness and vulnerability of those 40 days. And as he came... The first temptation was, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And Jesus, which was, it was appealing to his hunger, his frailty, his vulnerability. And Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And he came a second time. The devil came to Jesus and he, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, if you'll bow down and worship me, all of this will be yours. Well, that was a foolish thing to say because Jesus was the Son of God already, God himself that reigned over all the world, yet somehow in that temptation, Jesus the man was being tempted to be independent of the Father, to go rogue, to go, go isolated and say, no, I can do this myself. And Jesus responded saying, man, worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Third time the devil comes to Jesus and he says, if you're the Son of God, then... then command your angels, throw yourself down from here, this high place, and command your angels to bear you up. Use your power for your own ego and gain, not for the glory of the Father. And Jesus said, the Word of God says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. Jesus came later to another temptation in Gethsemane when He was tempted to, to let this cup of the Lord's wrath fall upon him when he went to the cross. Let this cup pass from him. And yet he said, Lord, not as I will, but as you will. And even as he hung on the cross, when he was hanging on the cross, the onlooker said, if you're the Son of God, save yourself. Come down from that cross. And you know, as I hear those words, I, I, hear, I hear the Nehemiah words. Come down and meet with us. And I hear Nehemiah's response, I cannot come down. I am doing a great work. And I hear Jesus say on the cross, I cannot come down. I am doing a great work. My life is for the ransom of souls. 
If Jesus had come down from the cross, not one soul in all of eternity could ever go up to be in heaven with him. If he'd have come down, not one person would ever be able to go and share in his heavenly home. What an incredible, incredible sacrifice Jesus has given. And as followers of Jesus, do we not hear the world call us? Do we not hear the world say to us, come down. Don't have such a high standard. Don't be such a moral purist. Come on, come down. Do what we do. Have some fun. Do we not hear the world, our friends, sometimes say to us, come down from there. Don't be such a religious goof. You know, come down. Be like us. Spend like us. And what are we going to respond at? How are we going to respond? See, we have to know. Before they, they start saying that, we have to know. No, I cannot come down. I am doing a great work. God has prepared some good works in advance for me to do. I'm on task for that. My life is all about doing something incredible for God. I know what that is. I cannot come down. I will not compromise. You will not provoke me. I will not give in to fear. Can you say that? Does your life reflect that you know you know what God has called you to when you picked up the cross and started following Jesus. You cannot put it down. And you, know, you cannot come down to any other level. May the Lord give us the grace to pass the faith tests that come our way, be they compromise or prov provocation or fear. May God give us grace, individually and collectively, to live out our calling. Would you stand with me as we conclude our service? Let me pray for you and let us dismiss ourselves. May Christ be in you today and always. May Christ be before you and behind you, beneath you and above you, on your right and on your left. May Christ surround you. May Christ be with you when you lie down and when you sit and when you stand up. May He be in all of your thoughts, in the mouth and in your speech. May Christ be in the eye of all that you see and in the ear of all that you hear. And may Christ be in the love of all that you do. Oh, Father God, may you now dismiss us with your grace and peace. We commend our lives to you. Lord, we need your perseverance and your preservation. If we are going to pass the tests that come our way, tests of compromise or tests that provoke us or tests that cause us to give in to fear, Lord, help each one in this place and lead us out from this place for the rest of this week that we might live, Lord, with the ones that are being on task to give you glory and to fulfill the calling you've given us. For the glory of your name we pray. Amen. Go in peace.